Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. No, they're just talking so loud they can't hear me. It's my turn to talk. Now, good morning. Here we I I heard it from somebody. Here we go. Can anybody believe it's already March? It's crazy. Baseball season, not just baseball season is right around the corner. Church softball season is right around the corner. That's right. Although I got some like one of the like, one of the teams left the league. It's usually a team of ten teams, and then like one team left. And the past two years, like two teams have left, and it's the teams that we could always beat. So, <laughs> so I'm hoping when they were find another church to come in, it's another like bottom level church because it's just not fair that all the bad teams keep leaving and then these new churches come in. It's like, come on, think about us, you know. So. No, no, we've, we've, we've established. We are, we're going, no, we're not going for championship level, but we're going for playoffs this year. We're going there. So uh, anyway, so all that's coming up as the weather turns, and it just seems like there's less likely chance of snow, but I'm very disappointed. So anyway, so we're continuing on in our Life of Christ series here, kind of preaching through the life of Christ chronologically, thinking and thinking about all that Christ did uh, in his ministry. Uh, we're spending this whole year just kind of going step by step, kind of following uh, either the teachings that he had, the miracles that he performed, the people that he met with, all these different things, all, all thinking about, okay, why was Christ here? What was he doing uh, in this? And over our last few weeks of messages, we've seen Jesus travel to Jerusalem, uh, for the Passover. Uh, it was during that time in which he cleansed the temple. Uh, Jim shared that thought with us a few weeks ago. It was also during that time that he had his conversation with Nicodemus. So he, he's doing all these things. He's having these conversations there. And this is that famous John chapter 3, verse 16 that I spoke on also a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then we, we looked at last week the, the woman at the well, and that was as he was leaving Jerusalem but we know that he took a very specific way uh, back to the north as he went on with that. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we have these maps. If you don't already have your, your sermon notebook, make sure you get a hold of those things because there's great resources like here's a map on the screen right now. Now, this one's in color. Uh, we didn't spring for you guys to get the colored maps, but that's okay. You can see them up on the screen here. So you can see the journey that he takes. Number one, it says Passover to Jerusalem. So you can see him from Nazareth go down all the way through down to Jerusalem. And then we're on his way back. You see number five uh, was the, the woman at the well, and you see how he took a different way going back. He went through there and then back up to Nazareth, up by the Sea of Galilee, where we will find him today in all his journeys. So we're already kind of working our way through these things, uh, make a good resource uh, of those maps just to kind of get a picture of Really, you think about how much walking uh, is occurring at this time. They didn't have cars and stuff, so that they're walking over all these places uh, and these great things uh, as we hit on these highlights of Christ's ministry. Uh, so it's just kind of cool to see and trace uh, all that is going on 
uh, in this time. So uh, as we find him back toward the Sea of Galilee today, we'll be looking uh, at a story you might be familiar with. Maybe you kind of have grown up in the church, so you're used to a lot of these stories about Jesus. And this might be one of those stories that you sat through a Sunday school class with those cool felt boards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I see some of the little felt boards, you know, with the little people you put up on there. Sometimes they fall off if there's too much dirt on it, and you kind of stick it back up on the felt board. Those things were so cool. Then when you were the one that was, like, told you could actually touch and, like, use the felt board, like, you felt like you were just the most special kid in class. So this might have been one of those stories that you remember sitting around with your teacher, playing with the felt board uh, over all these little pieces as as we talk about Jesus healing the the paralytic in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 17 uh, through 26. Uh, But before I read, let's go ahead and pray for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these Gospels of how we can trace the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. To, to think about the things uh, that he said, to think about the places that he traveled, uh, all for, for the purpose of bringing forth the, the good news that he is bringing into this world. Lord, help us to, to focus and to reflect on all these things. Help us to see how they apply to our lives today and how you want our lives to change to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So follow along uh, as I read from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, as I mentioned. It says, On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you say in your hearts, Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. And they were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. It's quite a great story. So we're going to dive in and kind of look at what is happening here uh, in this story and how we reflect on these things today. This is one of the stories that's actually recorded in three of the four Gospels. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event. Later on, as we go through this message, we're going to actually go and and look at uh, Matthew chapter 9 because it really helps us gain some, some context into really what is happening in and around this story that occurs. So we'll, we'll be jumping back, and I'll let you know when we're going into uh, Matthew for some more details. But Luke begins by, by telling us that Jesus is teaching, and we find out he's in a house. 
It's probably in Capernaum where he is kind of located in a lot of his early ministry, and it could even be Peter's house uh, around the Sea of Galilee. But we hear that word has been spreading about Christ, and, and a great crowd has gathered in this house. And some interesting people are present as well. Luke mentions that the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. So here we go again. This is something we've been seeing quite a bit as we go through the life of Christ, right? We, we see these Pharisees again. And, we, and we've been talking about these people. And, and here we have to see how often they are around Jesus. How many times they are mentioned to be either in the crowd or around the teachings of Jesus. You see, Jesus, he has their attention. They, they say that they're gathered from all over the area, you see. It says from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So from all the villages, all around, these Pharisees are coming and listening and sitting, it says, to the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's important to note that they're probably actually just carrying out the law that they have from the Old Testament. The Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 13 talks about if a prophet or a dreamer comes around you to, to go and kind of check them out, to, to see what this, this prophet or, or this teacher is teaching about. We want to know if this is true. We want to know if what this prophet is really saying is from God. So they have all these things to go and to test, and that's Deuteronomy 13. And then in Deuteronomy 18, it says, look, how do we know? Basically, it's asking if the Lord is speaking through a prophet. And it says, well, you know if the Lord is speaking through a prophet, if what he says comes true. So you know as you're investigating, as you're trying to figure out, is this person from God, you want to know, okay, is the stuff that he's saying really happening? Is it really coming true, the words that he says? So that's what we think the, these Pharisees are doing. They're hanging out with Jesus to hear what he's saying, to investigate, to see, okay, is this guy real? Is this truly a prophet who has come from God? We see them do the same thing in John chapter 1. that They come questioning John the Baptist to, to see the things that he is doing. So they're gathering around Jesus, trying to get all this information, but we're going to see kind of how they fail to properly process this information and, and see all the things that Jesus was saying. So we get the story that they're here, that they're sitting with Jesus, and then we get the next verse where it says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And it's almost an important phrase that kind of just gets lost with the gathering of the Pharisees, but it's important to note that because the Pharisees have gathered to, to see if this prophet is true, that now we're being told, look, Jesus has the power to heal something that the Pharisees would have been looking for in a Messiah. They would have been looking for somebody to perform miracles. Could this guy possibly be the Messiah? So they're probably considering words from Isaiah 35 that says stuff like this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Prophecies about the coming Messiah who the Pharisees would understand, they would know the book of Isaiah. They would know the coming of Messiah. They would know the things that Messiah would do, and they're probably pondering upon these things. Or they would reflect on Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord, God, has come upon me 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to build up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. All these Old Testament prophecies speaking about the one who was to come, of the prophecies for the Messiah who was to come. And in fact, the one from Isaiah 61 is one Jesus actually reads and applies to himself as he reads from the scriptures in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he tells them, look, this scripture has been fulfilled in front of you. And instead of saying, yay, great, they say, ooh, get out. We don't like that. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue and don't ever come back here again. All these things. So the response is the complete opposite to what they're looking for. But here we have more investigations, more looking into, okay, what is this guy saying? What is this guy doing? Is this the one who was to come? All these Old Testament prophecies are now coming true. Let's kind of investigate and see what's happening. So the story continues about all that the Messiah would do, that the blind would see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, and the mute will sing. So then we're introduced to a group of friends, a group of friends who are carrying another one of their friends who is paralyzed on a bed. But they realize that they have a problem. They realize that the crowd is so big that they are unable to get their friend to Jesus. As we know, the word has spread, and crowds are gathering, and this house was probably packed. They had probably heard of the miracles he has already performed, and they know if we can just get our friend to Jesus, then he could be well. So, like any group of guys, when the first plan fails, you just turn around and walk away, right? All the men are like, uh, no. So have you ever been around a group of guys when one plan fails? There's probably girlfriends, fiancés, and wives who have began to shake their heads many times as they've seen a group of guys begin a plan. Beginning a plan to succeed where they might have fallen. Now, I was thinking about the movie The Sandlot. You ever seen the movie The Sandlot? Well, they, they have this ball. And it's actually, they find out through all the course that the ball is signed by Babe Ruth. So they're playing with this ball, and they end up hitting it over the fence into the neighboring yard of their local kind of sandlot baseball field. So then they hatch all these crazy ideas of how to get this ball back. They put like this like vacuum cleaner on a catcher's mask. They try to suck up the ball. They get this erector set trying to launch the ball over. All this like insanity ensues all because they're trying to get this ball back. So when guys get together, some of these pictures might prove some of the ideas that guys have. Here's the first picture of maybe some plans. Here's guys who probably were, were, were trying to get a couch out, and they realized, oh, man, this, this thing is not going to fit down the stairs. So being guys, they came up with the most natural response of, Let's just maybe chuck it over the side and see what happens. My favorite part is the guy who was shirtless, so not sure what happened to his shirt. But this is what happens as guys start hatching and planning ideas. Or maybe you found yourself in the next spot where you know there's sometimes there's just some hard places to paint. So you kind of rig up your ladder in a way that 
seems like, hey, I think I can reach this spot. Now, there are actually some light bulbs around this building that are kind of hard to get to, and we have found some unique ways uh, to reach some light bulbs, but I'm not going to share any more from the stage due to risk of whatever. But, you know, these are what guys think of, right? You start thinking of ways in which, well, I actually saw one picture of, like, a forklift that was a huge forklift with a smaller forklift strapped to the forklift so it went up, and then the other four, I mean, there were some crazy things that guys are, are, are planning through this. Now, I got to tell you, I found these pictures, and you can go on Google, and all I had to search was, why do women live longer than men? <laughs> so if you, if you do that Google search, you'll get a lot of pictures like this of guys just doing uh, some crazy things to, to, to accomplish a goal. So I kind of think that then as we go back into our story, that as these guys, their, their first plan fails. They, they want to get their friend to Jesus. Maybe they start thinking, you know what? Maybe we can just toss him through the crowd. I mean, he's already paralyzed. If we get him to Jesus, he's going to heal him anyway. Maybe we can just throw him over the crowd. Or maybe we can kind of get the crowd, the crowd surf him in before Jesus. And then somebody has a great idea. Hey, let's climb up the steps because... At this time, the houses usually had steps either around back or on the side to kind of go up uh, to the roof level. And, and they kind of had these, these tiles of, of sticks and mud that they would place on their, on their um, roofs to kind of keep just the temperatures even and stuff. So they decided this future point now to say, you know what? Somebody had the great idea. We're going to climb up this, this stranger's house who we don't know whose house it is but we're going to go up on their roof and we're going to tear up some tiles and we're going to lower our friend down to Jesus. Now, I don't know at what point the guy who was paralyzed had any kind of say in this, like as they're tying the ropes to the bed and as he's thinking like, hey, you're not the strongest of friends in the world and you guys are going to try and now lower me down uh, through this roof. So this scene is unfolding in all these ways and they know, but they know this. They know if they just get their friend to Jesus, all will be right. And even if the first plan fail, they're going to continue to proceed and try and get their friend to Jesus. Of course, I wonder if they had heard about uh, the, the centurion servant. Anybody know that? We'll look at that one from Matthew, but that's in Matthew chapter 8. And the centurion also has uh, a, a paralyzed servant or, or a sick servant in a way. And Jesus is first is going to come to the house to heal the person, but instead Jesus just speaks and heals the person. So I wonder if they realized that, and they were like, that's all we had to get Jesus to do was just to speak. We'd have to lower him through the roof. They're probably like, oh, just like in the sandlot, when they finally get the ball, and the guy's like, well, why didn't you just knock on the door? I would have gotten the ball for you. And they're like, what? Spoiler alert, that's how it goes. So if they realize, oh, Jesus just could have spoken this miracle into place, they could have just yelled into the crowd, hey, Jesus, heal our friend. But no, they, they go up on the roof, they lower him down, all for the purpose of going through this. So as their friend is lowering, I could almost, I kind of thought the idea of somehow like lowering somebody down uh, from the ceiling, but I guess maybe I probably wouldn't get a volunteer for that, uh, to lower somebody down from the ceiling. It would have been a great upper room. I mean, right, if this was an upper room service, we definitely would have lowered somebody down uh, from the ceiling. But they go through this, and as Jesus is teaching, eventually there's a point where somebody starts coming down from the ceiling. 
And there's probably, you know, when stuff happens at church, one person notices, then another person notices, and soon enough, everybody's looking at this guy who is coming down from the ceiling. And Jesus, as he sees this happening, and I think he gives the, the response that they weren't expecting in the first place. He, he sees them coming down, and it says he recognizes the, the faith of their friends and of the man. He says, your sins are forgiven. I could almost picture one of the friends on the roof saying, that's not why we brought him down to you, Jesus. <laughs> that, that wasn't the purpose in all this. The purpose wasn't to lower him down and get his sins forgiven. Like, can't you see he can't walk? That's the problem that he has. But I think Jesus, in the same way as he was speaking to Nicodemus and he said, no, you must be born again, Jesus sees the deeper need within this man. And yes, he is paralyzed, but he knows there's a deeper need for the forgiveness of sins. So from here, the story kind of takes a pause and the attention is turned back to the Jewish leaders. Remember, they are sitting there investigating Jesus. They're watching him. And now Jesus says the phrase, your sins are forgiven. And what do the Pharisees do? They do what they begin to do best. They begin to murmur and question and pout, and they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? What's your answer to that question? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Like, yes, you're, you're right. Like, who can forgive sins but God alone? Yes, exactly. But they're so far away from that because they talk about these blasphemies. And they're upset because Jesus, by forgiving sins, is making himself equal to God, committing blasphemy, making himself one with God the Father. So Jesus, realizing what they're saying, and he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk. You think about it. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because why? You, you don't really know, you can't see any evidence of the forgiveness of sins. But remember, the Pharisees were coming to examine Jesus, to see if he was the true prophet. So Jesus is, is going to give them something that they can't help but notice, that they can't help but see. And that's where the story continues. And he says, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And it says immediately the man gets up, picks up his things, and he goes home. Remember the words from Isaiah of the Messiah who would come and the lame would leap. And the lame would walk. And here we have this happening right before their eyes. And look at this, and look what Jesus says. He says, that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority for these things. That you may know. You, you came here to investigate. You came here to watch and to see the things that I'm doing. Well, let me give you something so that you may know what this is. And he uses one of his favorite titles for himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. And Jesus will use this title for himself over 80 times in Scripture. It's a reference to his humanity, to him being the perfect man, the pattern that we should follow in our lives. It talks about him being like the ideal servant, his sympathy for the poor and the broken, the captives, the blind, the bruised. Jesus is the perfect example for us to follow in our caring and concern for humanity. He set the example for us that we ought to follow as we serve one another. 
to prove his authority to forgive sins, he heals this man. Authority is something that we'll come back to later as we see the various ways in which Jesus shows his authority as Messiah. Jesus gave them a visible miracle to prove his statement that he is able to forgive sins. If he was able to make this man walk, then he is able to heal this man's sins. Then the man went home giving glory to God. He realizes what has happened, that he has been forgiven, that he has been amazed by all that Christ has done. But it's not just him. Look what Luke goes on to say, and he says that the the amazement sees them all, and they all gave glory to God. They say, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, I don't know if that all includes the Jewish leaders who are present as well. I mean, based off their reactions from other miracles and even what they started to say here, I don't know if they had the same amazement and all as the the deeper understanding of this story. It's a fantastic story, and as we dive deeper into it, we're going to see some things that we can learn from it for our lives today. I think the first thing we see is something that actually goes back to my message from January when we were thinking about the different soils. And we talked about how now these Pharisees are still sitting here, listening, hearing all that Jesus has to say, but they are still disinterested in what they have to say. That was the first soil. No roots at at all taking root in their lives. They weren't understanding their teachings. They were there to investigate, not really to comprehend and know what he was teaching to them. They wanted to see if he was the true Messiah, but they're missing all the things that he is saying and the miracles that are being performed. The things that their very Old Testament scriptures spoke of, they just completely ignored about the Messiah. Of the lame walking, of the blind seeing, and we'll see all that in a little bit. They didn't hear the gospel and they just didn't care. They didn't believe any part of it. And the reality is that some people we come across today will never care or understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were just talking about that in our Revelation class, thinking about all those as as you go through this Revelation class and, and looking toward the end that is coming and how so many people just don't know Christ. They don't know what's going to happen in eternity. And it's hard for us to understand as believers because we have the hope to see the rejection that they have on the life that Christ offers is hard to see. And if we look a little bit further in Luke, we look at Luke 6.11 to understand the Pharisees' thinking, and it says, but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. These Pharisees, as they come across all these things and they're running into Jesus, all they are filled with is rage at what he is doing. Instead of taking the time and considering all that he's doing from the works of the Messiah, the very ones that they're waiting for, but all they do is get filled with fury and discuss just how to get rid of this man. You know, sometimes we all know people like this, and the one thing I always say is we just keep praying. Keep praying and praying and praying, just like Dory just keeps on swimming, right? She just keeps on swimming, keeps on swimming, and we just keep on praying that that faith will change the hearts of those who are rejecting Christ. The next thing I see is something that stands out very strongly because it's what Jesus recognized in these people, and that is the faith. 
These men knew if they just got their friend to Jesus, everything would be okay. Faith is something we talk about. I mean, it's the first name of our church. But but how does this play out in our lives? The Bible dictionary defines faith in this way. It says it's a reliance upon and trust in God. We rely upon him. We trust in him. And then Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. All these areas where we put our faith into things that we can't see. We, we put our reliance and trust in God. This group of friends trusted that God, Jesus, could heal their friend. They had a certainty and a hope that if they just got into Jesus, everything would be okay. Paul will go on to write, and it says that we will walk by faith and not by sight. This phrase captures our capacity for spiritual understanding, that while we might not understand everything, we don't perceive the world as the world sees it in its life of sin. We walk by faith in all that we see. When we see the world through eyes of faith and trust in God for everything, we see the lives that was promised to those in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, as we read that verse, that kind of chapter gets a heading. It's called kind of the hall of faith, kind of how each sport has their, their hall of fame. We kind of say the hall of faith is Hebrews chapter 11. And it talks about people like Noah, who had never seen rain before in their lives, but God tells him to build a boat. And he says, all right, I'm going to build a boat. It's people like Abraham who are told to, to leave their homeland and to go to an, on an unknown journey. And Abraham picks up and he goes. Where Abraham, who was called to sacrifice his only son, the one who has been promised, and he says, by faith he assumes that God can raise him from the dead. It says by faith that Israel crossed the Red Sea with the Egyptians pursuing behind them. All these great examples of faith, and there's many more within that chapter. But where we place our faith? Now, I know we ultimately put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by faith alone. But what about those areas in your life where you know you need reliance and trust upon God to to know that everything is going to be okay? And here's the hardest part sometimes. You can put your faith in God, and sometimes it's not going to be okay. It often reminds me of the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, look, we aren't going to bow down to this, and our Lord will save us. But they said, but if not, we still won't worship. Even if things don't go the way we expect them to go, we're still not going to bow down and worship you. So maybe you're you're praying for healing. What if that healing doesn't come? You're praying in faith for Christ, but things don't go the way that you think they should go. But they all go according to God's plan. It all goes according to him. And sometimes we just fall into the arms of faith and say, Lord, I trust you. I rely upon you. I know that you're working things out for your glory. All these things can affect the faith that we have. Will our faith still stay strong? Remember, I talked about the, the bigger context of this. And, and now if you you've turn back to, to Matthew chapter 8, you're going to see the, the larger context of all these miracles that are taking place. Because it really appears when you look at Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 that there is miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and based on the way it's written, it seems like they're happening boom, 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 one after another. 
And if you look at Matthew 8, chapter 2, it says all about this faith. It says a leper comes to him, and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He says, you can make me clean if you will. He has faith in the cleansing. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, it says, when Jesus, hearing the faith of that centurion I mentioned before, he says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And in Matthew 8, 26, as the disciples are afraid, as he is about to calm the storm, he actually says to the disciples, he says, why do you have such little faith? The seas are rocking and going back and forth. And he says, why don't you just have faith that you will be saved through all this? And then in Matthew chapter 9, in the very same account that we have for our story today, it says, when Jesus saw the faith of these men. And then in Matthew 9, chapter 18, with the death of his daughter, it came and he says, look, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Faith, again, in healing. And then in Matthew, in the same chapter, in chapter 9, the woman who was bleeding, she knew if she just reached out and touched Jesus, she would be healed. And Jesus says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then in Matthew chapter 9, it continues on. He has these blind men, and Jesus says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they respond, yes, Lord. And he says, according to your faith, it has been done to you. So all through Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, we're getting all these healings. And every time he's saying, it is your faith, your faith, your, your faith is making you well. And in the same time, he challenges disciples to say, why, why do you have such little faith? And then he calms the storm in front of them. In Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, I think we get people who could have made their way into Hebrews chapter 11 with all the faith that they had. The question comes, are we putting our faith in Christ that everything will be accomplished according to his will? Even if it's not according to our will. You see, we have more events that will happen. The healings will come. But do we understand the faith that we have in Jesus Christ? You see, we understand that the healing was the huge aspect, I guess, of this chapter. But Jesus knew that the deeper need was the forgiveness of sins. And that's his act as Messiah. And that's the next thing that we see as we go through this. The third thing we see is Jesus proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. The Messiah that they have been waiting for. Think about it. That's why Luke mentions that Jesus has the power to heal. We think back to the Old Testament stories of those passages from Isaiah where they said, this is what Messiah will do. He will do all these things, and these Jewish leaders come to investigate. They hear the miracles. They also know now that a true prophet would speak truth, and that the things that he says would come true. And Jesus is doing all of these things that the Messiah was proclaimed to do. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap, and the mute will sing. So again, if we go back to Matthew chapter 9, we see the healing of the blind. We see the healing of the deaf and the mute. We see the healing of the lame, the cleansing of the leper, the raising of the dead. And in Matthew chapter 9, it says, also the good news was preached to the poor. Everything that Isaiah prophesies, Jesus is accomplishing here in his ministry. 
He is on his way to show that he is the Messiah. These Pharisees have come to investigate, to see what is all this that is happening around this man, Jesus. And everything the Old Testament speaks of, Jesus is proclaiming right in front of them. And they're faced with the question, well, will they believe that he is the Messiah? The Pharisees were right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is God in flesh. And he says, look, I have the authority to forgive sins. And to prove it, he is going to walk. But there's a lot more authority that Jesus has in his life. And Messiah proclaims all these things. In Luke chapter 4, the the crowds realize that Jesus' teachings had authority. As he's teaching to them, they realize this guy is not teaching like anyone else. His teaching comes with authority. And later on in Luke chapter 4, he has authority over the demons. Over the spiritual world, he can cast out demons. In Matthew chapter 8, we see that he has authority over the winds and the waves, over nature. His teaching has authority. He has authority over demons. And as we see here, he has authority over the forgiveness of sins. Through all this, we see a Messiah who is worthy of our faith. The one who comes to perform miracles and have authority over all things here on earth. Which leads us to our final thought for today, and it's where these people ended up in their lives. They end up in a place of glorifying God and giving praise and worship to him. Can you imagine the reaction as this paralyzed man gets up and then goes home, as he is told, and walks into his house? He comes through the door, and his family is like, wait, wait, what, is, what happened here? And he goes on to explain all the things that Jesus said to him. I want you to think about even about the stories that we've been covering recently. Think about last week and the woman at the well. What does she do? In verse 28, it says, She leaves her water jar, and she went into town and said to the people, Come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this man be the Messiah? She has this interaction with Jesus that Jonathan talked about, and she goes back into the city, a place where she was looked down upon, an outcast. And she tells all these people, come and see this man. And we are told that many come to salvation. Think about the demon-possessed man from, from, Luke, from Matthew chapter 9. And in this similar account, in Luke chapter 8, it says this, Jesus sends him away after he has cast out the demon and says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This demon-possessed man wants to get back onto the boat, and he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Stay here. Go into the city. Go into your home and proclaim what I have done for you. We see the little girl who was raised from the dead in Matthew chapter 9, verse 26. It says, and the report of this went throughout all that district. People are seeing these miracles, and they're saying, we must share about Christ. This was my favorite one. In Matthew, again, in chapter 9, with the blind men, all these miracles occurring. 
It says their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But then in verse 31 it says, but they went and spread his fame through all that district. So they disobeyed Jesus. So they get there to go. They get this miracle, and they couldn't keep silent. They had to share the message. And that is why, as this story begins, the house is so crowded. That is why these friends couldn't even get their, their paralyzed friend before Jesus. Because people had heard about what's happening, and they just had to see Jesus. The people couldn't understand all that was happening, but they knew Jesus was doing miracles. And they wanted more, and they wanted to hear his teaching. The people were amazed and, and filled with awe. And the awe that talks about there is actually kind of a sense of fear. That, that they have this reverence and understanding, this guy's got some power. It's the same word that is used when Jesus calms the storm. And disciples are afraid because they realize this guy does have the power over the winds and the waves. So much authority in the Messiah. Has God been good in your life? Well, one thing he has given us, right, is salvation. And in the same way as the paralyzed man was lowered down and he said, your sins are forgiven. If you are a believer in Christ, he says the same thing to you today. He says, your sins are forgiven. Worship team can make their way back up to the stage as we get ready to close. And Paul in Romans 10 he shares these words beginning in verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then it says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of they who have not heard of? How are people going to know if they've never heard about Jesus Christ? It says, How are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. All around us, we have people who are in a place of a life being paralyzed, of a life being blind before Christ, lost in a world of sin. And Christ here says, look, go and share the good news. You've been healed I've given you salvation and forgiveness of sins. Now go and tell the world. Messiah came, Jesus came, and suffered a death upon a criminal's cross to bring salvation. But it takes faith in him. It is eternal life for all who have faith and believe. I encourage us as a church to take the good news. Be the beautiful feet that take the good news of Christ into the world. Let's pray and then have a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Luke, of, the, of this paralyzed man. We thank you for friends who, who just knew that they had to get their friend to Jesus. And that as Jesus sees their faith, he proclaims to them that your sins are forgiven, Lord. Lord, help us to, to understand the truth of those words. Help us to not be like the Pharisees who continue to sit and hear the teachings of Jesus, but just be completely disinterested, Lord. 
Help us to have the faith. Help us to see Christ as Messiah, that he is the one who has authority over all things. And then help our hearts to then go to a place of worship to where we can't help but proclaim all that Christ has done in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.